This morning we are looking at two verses. Our subject is Enoch's prophesying. Enoch's prophesying. And um, as we said, this little book of the Bible is is telling us about the great apostasy that comes before the revelation of our Lord. That's why it's in the order of where it's at in your Bible. There have been many that said this book is about the tribulation period. It doesn't apply to the church, and that's not true. We've pointed out those reasons why. You'll have another reason today, and actually the reason today, the passage that's before us, some people say, well, that's about the coming of the Lord to the earth, and it is, and that's what we'll preach about today. That was Enoch's prophecy. But without... Looking at the prophecy, you've got to look at the prophesier. You see, Enoch is a picture for us in this epistle. And Enoch is the greatest type in the Bible of those that are going to be raptured out of this world. That you'll find, especially in the Old Testament, but throughout the Bible. So, though his prophecy is about the Lord's coming to the earth, which, of course, the days preceding that will be gone, we as the church, just as he was. But uh, this is a very important message. All messages are important, but this is a very important passage of Scripture for us to look at because I believe it gives us some instruction about how we ought to look at things as we live in this world that we live in. I'm in Jude verse 14, two verses today together. I've called this, verse 15 is the most ungodly verse in the Bible because it's got that word mentioned more than any other verse in the scripture. Jude verse, and we're probably, we're approaching the most ungodly days of the history of the world. They'll be repeated from Noah's day. But anyway, we'll start reading before I get to running a rabbit. Verse 14, the Bible says, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The Bible says in verse number 14, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying. As we look at the prophesying of Enoch, and we see a a, a detail that you wouldn't have gotten if you just read the book of Genesis. And the detail is this, that Enoch was a preacher. (laughs) He prophesied, saying, you don't get that in Genesis. You say, well, how do we know that that's the case? Because the same God that wrote the book of Genesis and that was there when Enoch was alive is the same God that's alive in Jude's day that told Jude what to write about what Enoch said. You know, the Bible is a supernatural book. Jude did not get this this information second-handed. God told him what to write. And God knew all about Enoch. Jude didn't know all about Enoch, but God did. And so God told 
Jude to write that Enoch was a preacher. He prophesied. Now, that's an amazing thing. Now, let me clear up one thing here because there are these uh, people that would put a doubt or a question mark of the Bible that you have in your hand. And they say, well, we find that out from the book of Enoch. How many of you ever heard of that little phrase? They, they talk about extra biblical books and they said there's a book of Enoch. And see, Jude is quoting the book of Enoch. Well, that, that's not true. And you know that by looking at the verse. Okay. The Bible says, and Enoch prophesied of these. What's the next word? Saying. It's not something he wrote. It's something he said. You see the difference between that? It's not a lost book of the Bible that he prophesied and that, that he wrote down. That's not true. It, it is a message that he proclaimed. It is a, a, a preaching that he said. And so what came out of the mouth of Enoch, now Jude is writing down. And you didn't have that information uh, unless the Holy Ghost of God is given that. And, and that. and the amazing thing about that is God went all the way back... 4,000 years and told somebody what somebody said 4,000 years ago. That wasn't written down. Isn't that amazing? You know what? God knows what you say. (laughs) And God knows what I say. And God knows what everybody said no matter how long ago they lived. He keeps perfect records. And uh, so 4,000 years before Jude wrote this... It was um, a, a preacher, Enoch, preached a message all the way back in Genesis chapter 5, and God remembered that and told Jude to write what that was. Not only that, the, the, the other amazing thing about that, the Bible says, look again at verse number 14, and Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. Now, that means that when Enoch prophesied, His subject is about people that live thousands of years in the future. You see that? That means in Enoch's day, God only knew what Enoch said 4,000 years before he told Jude what he said. God told Enoch what to preach and he is prophesying about things that are going to happen 6,000 years after he lived. God knows the beginning and He knows the ending. He knows everything. And so, you know, with, with somebody like that, you better make sure you got a right relationship with that kind of an individual. The God that knows things 4,000 years in the back and can tell somebody to preach about 6,000 years in the future. What an amazing thing that Enoch was preaching about the things that the apostasy that we're seeing in our world that's going to come to a head during the time of the Antichrist. Enoch was preaching about that 6,000 years ago. You know what that tells you? That God's not surprised. God's not surprised at our world. He's not surprised at the wickedness of society. He knew about that all long, long time ago. And so in the day of apostasy, God tells Jude, I want you to write about Enoch and I want you to write about his preaching. Because what people really need in the days of apostasy is a preacher. You see that? Need a preacher. Somebody needs to speak up for God. 
Enoch spoke up for God. He was giving the message of God against a corrupt world. God needs a voice. He needs a mouthpiece. And Enoch said, I'll be that mouthpiece. I will be that preacher. And he begins preaching about the ungodliness that was coming. And he begins preaching about not only the ungodliness that was coming, but the Lord that was coming. He's prophesying of that. Now, this is the great thing about Enoch. He didn't preach in church. He didn't serve in a church. There wasn't no church to serve in. He had no position in a pulpit. He wasn't an ordained pastor. Matter of fact, nobody even knew that he was preaching until Jude wrote about it. He was just... He was just a man that loved God and walked with God so much that he had to start speaking up for God. And I would say that that the the fields were his pulpit and the the outdoor air was his congregation and whoever. What what I'm trying to tell you, he was not a member of a certain class of of apostles or, 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 or evangelists. He was just a man that spoke up for God and preached. You know, I believe, I believe that you're living in a day, you're living in a day where there's not a lot of preachers left. You do know that, don't you? Now, just because somebody calls themselves a preacher don't mean they're a preacher. <laughs> Amen. Number one, a preacher is not effeminate. <laughs> and number two, a preacher is not a woman. <laughs> Even if you get a sermon by one every now and then, it's not, it's not a preacher. It's not a preacher. A preacher is a man of God that stands up and opens a Bible and tells people what God said. Now, here's the thing. I think we need more Enochs, and they don't just have to be in a pulpit. They can be like Enoch. They can be, we need men that will preach to their families. We need men that will preach to their relatives. We need men that will preach out in the open air or just stand up for God on the job. We need Amen. Enoch was no special class. He was just a guy that loved God and walked with God and believed God and knew how ungodly the generation was that was coming and he knew the Lord was coming and he had to say something about it. The early church, the Bible said that they went everywhere preaching the word and it was not just uh, the apostles and it was not just a select group of people. It was, it was men that loved God that preached. I'm not a preacher. Well, I didn't know Enoch was either. Till later. Somebody needs to speak for God. Somebody needs to open their mouth. I'm glad I grew up in a generation where preachers were... I wouldn't be standing here today without growing up in a generation where there were just so many men of God that preached the word of God. I'm glad that I was raised in a home. My, my daddy could preach. Yeah. Amen. And he was an IBM executive. And when the preacher would go out of town, amen, ask my dad to get up and preach, and he'd preach. He'd pre- better preacher than the, than the pastors and people I hear. Amen. He's just a man that loved God, loved the Bible. And he, wanted, and he would speak up for the Lord. God give, what do we need in this day of posture? Oh, what a terrible day we live in. Well, preach about it then. Open your mouth for God. Boy, I wish the burden of God would lay upon 
some young men and older men to open their mouths for the Lord because he says, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. An apostate generation needs someone to speak for God to them, somebody different. Somebody that may not serve in the pulpit of a church, but they'll serve their generation by giving them the message of the truth. This needed preacher. Our verse says in verse 14, look at it again, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. Now, I'm interested in why he told you that. The seventh from Adam. Who cares? God cares. He put that in the Bible on purpose. He is the seventh from Adam, if you go... Adam and go down his line and uh, down his line with Seth and you get to Enoch he's the seventh from Adam. You know all through the Bible the number 7 is the perfect number. It's the perfect the completion, the perfect picture. I see not only in Enoch a needed preacher, I see a perfect typology. A perfect typology. We'll talk more about him tonight but Would you go to uh, Matthew 24, the perfect typology. He's the seventh. He's a part of a perfect generation that something miraculous happens to him that doesn't happen to anybody else. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, these are prophecies about the last days and the coming of the Lord to the earth. Okay? You've got to get the difference between the coming of the Lord to the earth, the coming of Jesus to the earth, and the coming of Jesus in the clouds. That, that's two different places. Very different comings. The location is different. The circumstances are different. Matthew 24 is about Jesus Christ coming to the earth. And the Bible says, and I won't go through the whole chapter. I want you to look at verse 37. Matthew 24, 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So, here's the picture. When Jesus comes back to this earth, it'll be just like the days of Noah. It will be the days of Noah. Now, why is that important? I've heard some people preach that we're in the days of Noah. No, we're not in the days of Noah. We're in the days of Enoch. Because the days of Noah are the days... When Jesus will put his feet down upon this planet. And he says in Matthew 24, there'll be a tribulation like there's been no tribulation. I mean, the sun will quit shining and the stars will fall from heaven. And there'll be a time that will never be seen before on the planet Earth. Those are the days of Noah. The days of Noah were miraculous days. I'm not going to get into all that. But the picture here, the beautiful picture here, that seventh man is going to leave the planet before the days of Noah come. You see that? The days of Noah. You know what the days of Noah, the Bible says, the imagination of their thoughts were only evil continue. You say, well, that's, that's what it looks like here. No, we're not here yet because Enoch's still walking around. You say, well, preacher, how much worse can he? Oh, you have no idea how much worse it's going to get. <laughs> 
You have no idea what's going to happen when the Antichrist is here and people are bowing down and worshiping Him and, and, and they're drunken with the blood of the saints. Oh, it's going to get a whole lot worse and the devil's come up out of hell. And go across the expanse. This is, this is kindergarten compared to what's going to happen on this earth. The days of Noah are coming. There aren't giants coming too. That's another story. There's a wicked day that's just ahead that we don't even know about. And we're just seeing a falling away before all that comes. But the great truth, amen, the seventh from Adam is going to leave before the judgment comes. And before it gets too bad, he that walks with God, amen, and he was not for God took him. God translated him. He he didn't even see death. He never died. You know, there's, there's a generation, amen, that's going to be on this planet that have trusted Christ as their Savior that will never die. We'll never see death. And we'll be walking just like Enoch. And we'll be talking with the Lord. And we'll be fellowshipping with God. And one day, the Lord will just say, all right, come to me. And we're going to escape the flood. And we're going to escape The judgment of God. Do you see the picture? You know, I understand that the church isn't going through the tribulation period for a lot of reasons. And one of the reasons right here in in this example of Enoch, it is the beautiful picture of one of God's saints prophesying and walking with God and loving God. And God rescues him before there can be that wicked day. You know, Enoch lived almost 600 and... Seventy years before the flood. He never saw it get that bad. But he prophesied of it. He never saw all the debauchery and all the judgment that happened in the days of Noah. He never saw that. But he prophesied of it. He knew it was coming. I know how that is a picture of the church. Enoch, you know, Enoch was gone before before Noah was born. Now think about that. So if the days of Noah are is the coming like you know, the coming son of man, and Enoch was raptured out of the world before Noah was born, his days are not Noah's days. You know, if I wasn't saved I'd get to God. For a lot of reasons, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want to be around for the days of Noah. I don't want to be around for the judgment that's coming, not a flood of waters, but a flood of fire that's coming on this world. And Enoch prophesied of that, and he was rescued out of that. What a beautiful picture. The first man to typify the rapture of the first uh, 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 the, the rapture of the first man. The first man that shows that picture of the rapture is also the first man that prophesies of the second coming of Jesus. What a beautiful picture he is. He gets caught up. He, he, matter of fact, he's still not dead. He's translated. And he prophesies of the coming of the Lord 6,000 years ahead of time. Now I want you to look at, again, because there's some more reasons here that we understand of the coming of the Lord and how we, we are going to be rescued from this 
terrible event that's coming to the world. Look at verse 14 again. The Bible said, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh. What's the next word? Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. So it says the Lord is coming with his saints. And notice, it's not saying the Lord is coming for his saints. The Lord is coming with his saints. Now listen to me very closely. You can't come with him until he has come for you. You got, it doesn't take rocket science. You don't need to read a theology book. You, you don't, all you have to do is think about the Bible, what it's saying. If, if here Jesus is coming with his saints to the earth, then he can't come for you and with you at the same time. The Bible tells this to us. He says in 1 Corinthians 1 7, he says we're to wait for his coming. Now wait a minute. How can you await for a coming that you're in? Are you just thinking with me? So there's two aspects to that. There's the coming of the Lord Jesus in the clouds. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll be caught up together with Him in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's meeting Him up there. That's the gathering of the church up in the clouds. The dead in Christ arise. We which are alive and remain. There's Enoch. She'll be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're up there. You say, well then what's going to happen? The judgment seat of Christ with us. While God is judging the world in a terrible time of the days of Noah for seven years, we're going to be with the Lord, but we've got to go through a judgment too. But God doesn't, God doesn't put his people's judgment with, this, with the people that are heathen. Separates it. So if I'm to wait for him to come, how can I wait for him to come with me? <laughs> he has to come, listen, he has to come for me before he can come with me. You can write down another reference on that. And that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. The Bible tells us in verse 13 about the Lord coming with his saints. That's what Enoch's preaching about. So Enoch has to go up there before he can come down with him. We have to go up there. We have to meet him in the air. So then later, seven years later, we can come down with him. That ought to be easily understood, but if not, you know, if, all you have to do is study the rest of your Bible. The tribulation time that's coming is, is a time of the nation of Israel. It's the, it is the time of Jacob's trouble. And God never dealt with Israel and the church at the same time. It's, it's very separate. People that do not believe in the pre-millennial, pre-tribulational return of the Lord Jesus Christ for his own. People that do not believe in that confuse the church with Israel. Because all of those passages about the tribulation period and the judgment of God, all of that has to do with the nation of Israel. That's why you read from Revelation chapter number 6 all the way to chapter 19. There's no mention of the church because that's the judgment of this world. You say, Preacher, why is that important? Because God doesn't want you looking for the Antichrist. He's wanting you to look for Jesus. And God's not wanting you to look for the judgment and the apocalypse and Armageddon. He wants you to look for His Son who shall appear in glory for you. Looking unto Jesus, you say, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants you to be looking for the escape. He wants you to remember the testimony of Enoch. If it wasn't that way, all we would have to do is look for the Antichrist. 
Because if we, don't, if we don't leave here until He comes, well, then we just need to look for the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the devil. I'm looking for God. I'm looking for the escape route. I'm Enoch. I want to walk with God. And amen, I'm trusting Him. Even so, come Lord Jesus, that I will never even have to cross the veil of death. Never, my family will never have to even go to the graveyard. That's the testimony of the scripture of Enoch. Though the world is so bad and it's going to get worse, don't be disheartened. Think of Enoch. Enoch is sure is going to get bad. I know it. It's going to be so wicked, you know, you can't even describe it. I know it. The devil's just going to be turned loose so bad that God's going to get so mad. He's going to wipe out the whole population of the planet. I know it. But isn't it great to be alive? Enoch, how can you be so happy? How can you be so joyful? He said, well, I walked with God this morning and I walked with God tonight. And one of these days, I'll just walk on out of this world and I'm not worried about all that. Do you see the picture? Do you know what happens with the people of God? We get so worn out with this generation and the coming judgment that we fail to walk with God and look for God and know we're going to be rescued. That Bible tells us that God has not appointed us to wrath. We're not appointed to that day. That's the whole purpose of 2 Thessalonians being written to assure the people of God. You're not going to be here for that man of sin. God's going to rescue you. He's going to walk you out of this world just like he walked Enoch out of the world before the coming of the great judgment in Noah's day. You don't have to be disheartened. Look unto Jesus. But I tell you what, as I talk to Christian people, they're looking, they're looking at a lot of things, but a lot of it's not for the rapture of the church. They're waiting for the next election. I hope we don't even have another election. I'm not waiting on the next Republican to be in the White House. What a joke. I'm looking unto Jesus. I'm waiting for him to come. I want to get out of here. Because I know what's coming. I've already read the chapters. I've already looked at the prophecy. And until he comes, all I need to do is just preach how it's going to be. Now look at this prophecy. It's not just a perfect typology, but it's also a prophecy of the coming of the Lord. He said in verse 14, also the seventh from Adam prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh. We live in a day, people don't talk about the coming of the Lord as much as they used to. I don't think people are ready for his coming for the church. I don't think they're prepared for that. I don't think people are living. You know, movies even make fun of those people that hold the sign, the end is near. Jesus, they make fun of that. That's that's like a moniker on a a movie. Some weird old people that think Jesus is coming. The Lord cometh. He's still coming. Where is the promise of his coming? All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. This they're willingly ignorant of. Amen. One day with the Lord's a thousand years and a thousand years is one day and he is still coming. And my question is, are you ready? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Do you know how many things are going to be settled when the Lord comes for us in the clouds? He's going to settle things for us. But when he comes back to this earth, he's going to settle things in the earth. Are you, ready for the, are you ready for the coming of the Lord? If you're sitting here right here this morning and you're saved and you've got unconfessed sin in your life and you're not right with God and you know there's things in your life that's not right, what are you going to do if you meet Jesus today? 
I really believe, church, I, I don't just believe it's people that's got wrong eschatology that, doesn't, that do not believe in the coming of the Lord. I believe it's people that say they believe in the coming of the Lord, but they really don't. Did you walk outside your house today and look up in the clouds? And, and Lord, maybe today. I think it'd be a great day for him to come on Sunday. He just might come on Sunday. He just might come for his church on Sunday. Are you ready? Is that, a, is that real? Do we really believe that? Do we believe Jesus Christ is coming? Why do we look more forward to vacation than we do the coming of the Lord? Why do we look more forward to retirement than we do the coming of Jesus for His own? Why is our minds occupied with all the destruction of our society instead of looking up to heaven and say, Lord, it's today the day I'm going to keep walking with you and keep speaking your word and telling the world that you're coming. When's the last person you told that Jesus was coming? When's the, last person, when's the last time you told somebody, you better prepare to meet the Lord. The Lord's coming. That's what Enoch's supposed to be doing. You saved? You ready for him to come? The Bible says, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. When I think of the coming of the Lord of this earth, several things uh, pop out of this verse. Number one, he's not going to come alone. He hung on the cross alone, but he'll never be alone again. He was suspended between heaven and earth. His disciples forsook him and only one came back, John. And there was his mother and a few women and everybody left Jesus and he hung there basically alone taking the judgment of God for us and took our sin and his own body on the tree. But he will not be coming back alone. He's coming with ten thousands of his saints. And I'm so glad that every one of us will be in line and every one of us will be in order when Jesus Christ comes again to this earth. Amen. There won't be a backslidden Christian among them. If you're saved by the grace of God, He'll even clean you up before He brings you with Him. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is for. He'll have to, he'll have to have a purging fire there at that judgment seat of Christ it talks about. But he is going to make sure that we come out without spot and without blemish and unrebukable and he's going to clean us up, amen, and come back with us and we're all going to keep step and there's not going to be one among us that's out of line. I've watched all my life Christians get out of line. Fail God. There's coming a day we're all going to be with Him. And we'll all be here. The Bible says the armies in heaven will follow Him. He'll turn back on that horse and we'll say, We're all here, Lord. We're all here. He's not coming alone. You know, sometimes in this day of apostasy, you think you're alone. It's sort of lonely. You're an oddball to your family, you're an oddball to your friends, oddball, oddball with people you work with. Bible-believing Christians are so weird. We're so peculiar today. Amen. Just remember when the Lord comes back to this earth, we'll be together and we won't be alone. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Now, why is he coming? Look at your Bible. <coughs> it says he's coming, verse 15, to execute judgment upon all. He's coming to judge. The Bible tells us in the book of James to be patient unto the coming of our Lord. It says the judge stands before the door. Now, you can either receive the Lord as your Savior or you can let him be your judge. That word execute, that's, that's a pretty big word. 
when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to this world, you know what he's going to do? He's going to start executing people. Fire is going to proceed out of his mouth. He's going to destroy the Antichrist. He's going to destroy the false prophet. He's going to destroy all those nations that have stood against him. He's, he's, going, to, he's going to execute judgment upon all. And it doesn't matter if they're small or they're great or they're rich or they're poor or what nation they're from or, or how much power they have. He is going to come to this world to execute judgment. See, the Bible says that's why we can be kind to our enemies and believe that vengeance is the Lord's and He will repay. Let God, God's going to settle all the scores. And we live in a day where people are speaking so much against God. Would you look at the end of verse 15? Of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. They speak against Jesus Christ. They blaspheme His name. There is never an hour that goes by on the face of this earth that someone does not blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ and of God Himself. They're speaking against Him. They speak against the Bible. They make fun of us. They're on every internet channel and TV channel and the jokes in the, in, in, the, in the coffee room and on everywhere in the school. People are speaking against God and speaking against the Bible, speaking against biblical Christianity. And the Bible says one day he's going to have the last word. And he'll execute judgment on every word that's been spoken against him. And sometimes those words that, he, that they speak against him, they speak against you. They spoke against Moses, but they were really speaking against God. They spoke against God's prophets, but they were really speaking against God. They spoke against the church and the apostles, but they were really speaking against God. And the Bible says that when the Lord comes, He's going to settle all the score. I'm not disheartened. Because I know that when the Lord comes to this earth, He will judge. He will execute judgment. He's going to come to rule this world with a rod of iron. And all things will be just like he wants them. And if you're away from God or if you're not saved, you're an enemy of God. The Bible says this is the only fate that waits you. For behold, the Lord cometh, I'm in Isaiah 26, 21, out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. The Lord says, I'm coming. See, that's why we have to go all through the world and preach to come to Jesus now for forgiveness and repent of your sin because there's coming a day when Jesus comes back to this earth. He's going to execute judgment. I want you to look at verse 15 again. To execute judgment upon all, there's a second reason he comes. And to convince... All that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed. The second reason or thing that's going to happen when Jesus comes to this earth, he's going to convince everybody. You know most sinners aren't convinced that they're ungodly. I'm not convinced. I'm not not that bad. I don't... All these ungodly deeds that they have committed... Oh, we live in a day where people are so ungodly. From the pornography they watch to the fornication that they commit 
to the immodesty of the things they wear, to the bad language that they speak, to the drunkenness that they involve themselves in, or the dope, to the pride that they have in their hearts, the lack of humility before God, have nothing for the Bible, have nothing for Jesus. Such a lying, corrupt society. What ungodly humanity we have. But the thing is, people aren't convinced they're ungodly. And it doesn't matter how many preachers talk to them or preach to them. It doesn't matter how many parents sit down with their children and say, listen, this is ungodly, this is not right. And they're not convinced. It doesn't matter how many times they get a witness from some Christian on the job or downtown somewhere, so, you know, this is not right. They're not convinced. They're not convinced. There's nothing ungodly about me. There's nothing wrong with what I do. There's nothing wrong with me not convinced. You know, the Bible says when people come to church, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, one of the things they need to be is convinced. When they see our unity together, they need to be convinced of all. Church ought to be a place where you get convinced. The Bible says we're to convince the gainsayers, Titus chapter 1. But I don't think I've done a very good job of convincing people. I've tried. Amen. You're the best people I know, amen, in 25 miles. But I've tried my best to convince you how ungodly you are. I don't think I've done a very good job. I don't think some of you are still convinced. But you know what? When Jesus comes to this planet, they'll be convinced. They'll be convinced, number one, of their ungodliness. You know what? When you're in the presence of somebody that's so holy, you will be so uncomfortable knowing how ungodly you are. That's one of the most fearful things, if you're not saved, to stand before God as a sinner standing from, before someone who is all holy, completely righteous. And you're standing before a holy, righteous, omnipotent, pure, perfect God. And He's looking right at you. You will be convinced. I'm not like Him. I'm guilty and He's holy. And right now the world's not convinced of that. And we try to tell people that aren't saved, hey, you're on your way to hell and you need Christ. And yes, you're trying to keep the commandments and you're trying to be a good person. But you're still wicked. You're still ungodly. All your righteousness are filthy rags. When you compare yourself to God, you don't measure up. You can't get into His heaven. Not even one lie gets in there. I just don't think I'm that bad. When He comes to this earth, you'll change your mind. But then it'd be too late. You've got to be convinced now. Guys, we've got to be convinced now before we meet the Lord. I try to convince people not only about their sin, I try to convince them how wonderful the Lord is. You done that? You know, we ought not just beat people up about their sin. I mean, we need to tell them their sin. We need to tell them how wonderful, how wonderful Jesus is. It's great being saved. I tell you what, if, 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 <laughs> if your life has to be the convincing life to the world that it's great to be saved, will they be convinced? Kick the cat. 
go to work. Jesus is wonderful. Come on, man, give me a break. Are we convincing that this is a good life? Do we come into the church with a smile? Well, it's great to be saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Great to have your sins gone. Jesus is wonderful. He's the best thing ever happened to me. Amen. I'm satisfied. God is good. God's been better to me than I've ever deserved. That's grace. God's kept the judgment away from me that I did deserve. That's mercy. Oh, what a God. What a wonderful God. Are we convincing? I don't think we're too convincing. But when he comes down here, they'll say, boy, he, he is powerful. He is wonderful. He is glorious. There's nobody like him. They will be convinced then. Let me ask you, are you convinced? Is this, I really believe some people go to church and they're not convinced that this is the real thing. But when Jesus Christ comes again, he will convince all. He'll convince all of their ungodliness. He will convince all of his righteousness. And he will rule and reign and he will get his due. And I know it's not that way now, guys. I know it's not that way now in these days of apostasy. But there's coming a day where all will be convinced. I tell you right now, I'm convinced right now. He didn't have to come. I'm convinced that I'm just as wicked as I can be and that he is just as wonderful as he can be. And I'm convinced his life is the best life and his word is true and whatever he says is right and whatever he does is right and he is a good God and he is a wonderful Savior and he's filled my life with every blessing. I am convinced And I am convinced that the way of the transgressor is hard. And I am convinced that I cannot lean unto my own understanding. And I am convinced that there is no reason for me to complain or murmur or be proud. I'm convinced that he's right and I'm wrong. The Lord cometh. And he's going to be convincing when he comes. When you meet Jesus, if you're saved, you'll be convinced of all the things you're not convinced of right now. But why wait? Be like Enoch. Enoch says, I'm convinced I'm just going to walk with God. 